Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, a sports writer for the Journal from our downtown studios here in Providence. So we're recording this early on a Thursday afternoon. I'm joined by my co-conspirator for this week, the sports director from ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI, Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how are you living? Hello, William. What's going on? How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am excellent, thank you. Uh, coming off a, a great Wednesday of college basketball here in the state. Um, we feel for Brown, obviously, because they're not playing. We wish they were playing. Uh, it was nice, however, to see our other three teams on the court at the same time all playing meaningful games at once. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do miss seeing the Bears out there, and uh, we've talked about that, obviously, and you feel for them, but uh, it was a great day on Wednesday to be able to follow all three games, all three programs so far, for the most part, knock on wood. There's been good health, and that's a good thing. There hasn't been much in terms of a pause um, because we've seen it across the country. There's been so many programs that have been shut down, and I know we'll get into it with some of the programs surrounding these teams in their in their respective conferences. But it was great to have them all on the floor, meaningful games, uh, and exciting games, too. We had a f- couple of exciting finishes, and um, it's just nice to be talking about hoops and what's going on on the floor. Yeah, three out of four is sort of the nature of 2020, isn't it? it it's about <laughs> as good as we're going to get, uh, but it's not perfect. It, it's not what we want. Well, ideally. it's a pretty good percentage. You know? it, it is pretty good. Yeah, three for four from the floor to start. You know? that's well, that's pretty true. Good. Yeah. But, but we want 100%. <laughs> we, we strive for perfection on this podcast, and I'd like to say I strive for perfection everywhere else in life, but that's not true. Um, <laughs> Coity, where should we start? I give you the floor. Um... Well, I, I mean, I, I think you could start. You could start with either PC or URI yesterday. Um, why don't Why don't we start with the Rams because it was a, it was an important matchup for them, one that came about really quickly. On Monday, we hear all of a sudden, hey, they're going to Wisconsin. They're replacing Louisville, and they're going to play the 13th-ranked team in the country. Uh, a heck of an opportunity, a credit to David Cox and his staff to be able to throw that game on the schedule, get on a plane, get out there and play. It, it speaks to the confidence they have in their group, the confidence that they have that they can go out there and compete with the best of them. And uh, Obviously, it didn't. Uh, the result wasn't what they wanted, but... Uh, to be able to go out there and, and get a shot at the Badgers like that, that, that was pretty uh, a pretty great thing for them. See, I asked you to choose because now you're the biased one and not me. <laughs> see, see how that works. I could go either way. I could obviously go either way. Uh, but we okay. So we go with the Rams. Uh, Lost at number thirteen, Wisconsin, seventy three sixty two, a game that you or I trailed by 22 uh, midway through the second half and, and made a nice run at the end to, to make the final respectable. Uh, incidentally, the Vegas line on this game was 11. Mm-hmm. Tells you how good those guys are. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they're absolutely ridiculous. Uh, if you want to try to make a living gambling, best of luck to you. Uh, <laughs> it'd be a fun way to go, but uh, you know, not necessarily the, the most financially advantageous way to go. Uh, I have some friends that have navigated those waters. I, I'm not one to uh, dip my toe in. I, I do occasionally. It, it is <laughs> difficult, but uh, on these occasions, you are reminded you know, just how good handicappers are. Sure. Job. Sure. But, you know, you're looking at Rhode Island. That you, you fall into a 22-point hole at Wisconsin. And here's how you do it. In the first half, you have one assist and 11 turnovers. You go three for 13 from three-point range for the game. Uh, Fats Russell goes three for 14 from the field. When those things happen, you're just not going to win many games, uh, and certainly not against an elite opponent like Wisconsin. 
Uh, Brad Davison came out, was on fire from three early. He ended up with 23 points. Uh, Wisconsin coming off a loss to in-state rival Marquette. Uh, a really exciting game on Friday, Cody, that I know you watched. Um, you know, I would just say this, you know, Rhode Island going into that game probably knew that they needed an A-plus to win uh, and maybe needed something like a, a B, you know, a C from Wisconsin to win. Uh, Rhode Island did not play an A+. Uh, Wisconsin played a little better than a C. And so you're left with an important matchup now on Sunday against Western Kentucky to try to move the NCAA needle. This was the type of game, had you won it non-conference, this one really would have been one to stick up on the board uh, once selection time comes around in March. Of course, of course. I felt like they came out a little tight. Bill. Uh, and I, I didn't get that sense when they played Seton Hall at home. I thought for the majority of the night, the Rams controlled the floor, controlled the pace. They finished so well in that game. Uh, with this game, they came out tight. There were a few layups that, that they probably missed that they want to have back early in that game. And, and you said it, Bill, like when you make mistakes against a team that's as good as Wisconsin, they're going to make you pay for it. There was a transition basket, I think midway through the first half, I wrote down. Uh, it was Trice that had the three. It was on the wing. Sure. I can't remember who, who took it up the floor, but passed it back to him. And it was just like, that's what the 13th ranked team in the nation does to you. Yep. It, it happens like that. You're right. Davison played well. Um, and they just, they have size. I used to joke when I was working up in Maine. We had, you know, the high school basketball tournament every year, and the teams from the northern part of Maine, the county, Presque Isle, Caribou, they used to bring these really tall kids. And I used to joke that, boy, they must cut them down in the forest and put them them into their starting five because that's what I felt like with a team like Wisconsin. They probably go to northern Wisconsin, you know, get a kid like uh, the kid uh, blanket on his name, Potter, Michael Michael Potter, Potter. and and they put him in there, and he's just tough, he's physical, he's huge, like – the first, when they tipped that ball off and they and, and they started playing, I just looked and Ian Steele sitting in the office with me. I said, "Man, these guys are huge," and that's that's the kind of you know team you're going to see you know, in the Big Ten. So uh, it's uh, you know it, it was unfortunate that they they came out tight because I think after about twenty to thirty minutes in the second half somewhere they went in a little run. Rody showed some fight. Yeah. David Cox said as much. Um, you know they they just didn't give their best shot. The majority of the night, um, but it was it was a good finish, which is something you can take out of. See, it. the difference here, I think, between this game and your opening game against Arizona State is the Sun Devils are going to play up tempo and they're going to give you a chance to get back into the game. Uh, they're up by 16 in the first half, but they're going up and down, and there's going to be a lot of possessions in that game, and they're not necessarily going to grind you down and defend you as hard in the half court as someone like Wisconsin, who's one of the most deliberate teams in the country in terms of pace. The started under both. Ryan, it has continued under Greg Gard. They've been in the bottom 20, bottom 25 in terms of tempo for the better part of the last 15, 20 years. This is who they are. And so when you get down 10 to them or 15 to them, it's more like 20 or 25. Your possessions and what you get out of them at both ends, it just puts a premium on your execution. And, And when you're Rhode Island and you have four assists and 14 turnovers in that game, you're just not going to be able to, to beat a team who is as deliberate and as disciplined as Wisconsin is. Um, you take out of this that 
you really didn't get a, a good night from Fats, as we mentioned. Uh, Jeremy Shepard led the way with 13 points. Uh, you had a good effort from Antoine Walker, who had 10 rebounds, only had four points. He fouled out, but was able to match up physically up front with a, with a bigger, stronger front line. Uh, you know, so Rhode Island, we, we should talk a little bit about how this game came together and, and how Rhode Island was willing to be aggressive to schedule this game. Uh, they were looking at being idle between Seton Hall and Western Kentucky from the 2nd to the 13th, 11 days. Uh, Boston College pulls out to play Florida. Obviously, they, they didn't have the chance to play Providence on the Saturday. Uh, and so you're stuck looking for a game. Wisconsin is supposed to play Louisville as part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Louisville has a positive COVID-19 test in their program. And within about 24 hours, you or I is signing a contract to go play in Madison, uh, flying charter to and from, provided by the Badgers with their Big Ten cast. So nice. Um, so nice. <laughs> but it's, it, 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 I think it's just another example, Nick, of, of just how different this season is and, and maybe you know how ambition uh, from coaches like David Cox has the potential to be rewarded in cases like this. David Cox has had a heck of a year in terms of being adaptable. <laughs> because of yeah, that's right. it, it started that's right. it started with the transfer market and all the guys that the program lost Jacob Top and Tyrese Martin all the guys that left the program then he adapts on the fly and he says I'm going to bring in the Mitchell twins I'm going to bring in Jalen Carey I'm going to bring in all these guys to rebuild my program on the fly you know fortunately he gets all the waivers for these guys so he can put a, yeah. the team that he wants to put yeah. on the floor and then with scheduling Two days before the season starts, all of a sudden, he goes. To, he's going to Mohegan Sun. He wasn't supposed to be playing Arizona State and Boston College, but what was it? Baylor pulled out of that because of COVID nineteen. Scott Drew tested positive for COVID nineteen. Baylor's coach. Two days before the season, and then boom, you've got Arizona State and Bobby Hurley. You got Boston College, and voila, there's there's a big schedule change, and it gives you the chance to play some quality opponents. And then again, he does it with this game. I just I credit David Cox and his staff for being flexible too in a time like this, not getting frustrated or upset or whatever. Maybe with the exception of one single game that it's been talked about around these parts. But mm-hmm. hey, you were adaptable. You bounce back from you know all the punches that you're taking this year, and I credit them so much for being able to. You know, have the confidence too in this group to go up against anybody. They really like this team. They like what they put on the floor, and sure. and that's that's evident by the fact that they'll play anybody, anytime, anywhere. And to your point, their schedule so far, there's six games. Uh, the weakest team they've played, according to Ken Palm, is South Florida, and they check in at 106. Wow. Um, you know, so this has been a, a, a good test for them. Uh, they get another one on Sunday against a team who, when it's all said and done in March, Coyte might end up looking a lot like them uh, in Western Kentucky, a, a team that plays in Conference USA, um, a team that has also played a difficult schedule to this point. Uh, their first five games are Northern Iowa, Memphis, West Virginia, Louisville. Uh, Sunday they played a bit of a breather against Mississippi Valley State, who's not necessarily a contender ever, really. Uh, Beat them by 27. But uh, wins over Northern Iowa and Memphis already. uh, Both impressive. Um, A team that, when we are deciding the last at-large places uh, in March, Mm -hmm. if if URI isn't fortunate enough to win the A-10 tournament, um, this could be an either-or. 
situation. Uh, and so you go to Western Kentucky for a noon tip on Sunday. Uh, they've got a definite pro in Charles Bassey, big guy. Um, lots of talent surrounding him. Uh, Davidson transfer, who URI fans would know. Luke Frampton, who is a shooter. Uh, you've got capable seniors in Carson Williams and Josh Anderson and Tavion Hollingsworth. Uh, this is a veteran team. Uh, led by Rick Stansberry, who is a veteran coach who was at Mississippi State prior to this, has coached his teams into the NCAA tournament. Um, a really stiff test for URI, and, and this one, more so than Wisconsin, I would say is a game that you would really like to have. Absolutely, because of all the reasons you just listed. The fact that these programs, in terms of success, you know, if you win this game, come March, if they're looking at resumes and they have to choose between schools – they're probably going to have similar resumes. And, and Western Kentucky is just – it's a program that's consistently good. I believe three straight 20-win seasons. Like, this team is always there. So it would also be a, a great character win for Rhode Island to go on the road and, and defeat a program that is consistently uh, competing for, you know, the conference championship and, and getting to the NCAA tournament. And, and yet again, I mean, with college basketball teams, we, we talk about guards, and, and Hollingsworth stands out to me as a senior guard, you know, leads the way for this team. It's, it's uh, <laughs> you have a good guard and you have a good upperclassman guard, it, it, can, it trickles down from there. And, and that goes for Rhode Island, too. When Fats Russell plays and he plays well, I think it trickles down from there. And, and I think we saw with his inability to shoot against Wisconsin, um, it, it, I think it trickled down a little bit there, too. This uh, finishes off a home and home series between the Rams and the Hilltoppers. Uh, last year, Rhode Island won the first leg of the series in overtime at home, 86 82, uh, a thriller. Tyrese Martin, the departed Tyrese Martin, had 22 in that one. You or I had five players in double figures. Uh, Carson Williams led the way for Western Kentucky with 26. Uh, you know, I would expect something similar this time in, in terms of drama. Uh, as you said, Western Kentucky, three straight 20 win seasons. Um, you know, certainly a, a stiff opponent to go on the road and, and have to beat. Uh, you know, we turn to Providence, who also had its own stiff opponent on the road uh, on Wednesday night, playing at TCU as part of the Big East Big 12 battle. Um, and, Cody, I wrote this for the journal today, and, and I tweeted it last night. I think it's the most complete 40 minutes Providence has played this year when you consider opponent and when you consider uh, just how efficient, how good they were. 79-70 win over TCU. Uh, that's all due respect to, to Fairfield, who they opened up with and, and blew out. Fairfield is not a Power 5 opponent. Fairfield is not a Big 12 team on the road. Um, TCU, granted, is picked towards the bottom of that league. But you remember at the start of last year, the Friars went to Northwestern, who was picked toward the bottom of the Big 10, and they lost that game and, and didn't look good doing it. I think they were 8 for 35 from 3 in, in that one and, and really struggled. Uh, this game, Providence, I thought, showed significant chemistry. Uh, they were good on offense. They executed well. Uh, they got offense off their defense. They were able to turn TCU over pretty regularly. They extended their pressure a little bit. And David Duke, again, looked like one of the best players in the Big East, mm -hmm. uh, if not more. He was sensational in this game. 28 points, 7 assists, 
attacked from the start in 39 minutes. Uh, Coity, just your general impressions on what I thought was a really good night for the Friars. Great night for the Friars. Comes at the exact right time for them, too, because just the eye test, watching the Fairleigh Dickinson game and then watching this game. Whatever the, the opponent, whatever the quality opponent, whatever the conference, doesn't matter. Watch the game. It just, the offense just looked, it was crisper for the Friars. And again, what did I just say about Hollingsworth from Western Kentucky? Fats Russell, David Duke, upperclassman guard, plays well, it trickles down from there. And I, I thought him being in attack mode, it, 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 I think the rest of the players followed. Uh, his teammates followed him. And, you know, the, you can point out different things, different statistics, whatnot, but. Just the eye test. The confidence is high with David Duke right now. And you saw that still, too, in the, Mai- the Maui Invitational, rather. Uh, he was playing. It, it wasn't, he wasn't playing bad. No. It's just that I, I think some of the guys around him were still trying to figure some things out. And I think what stood out to me in this game, too, was they shortened the rotation down to nine players. I think Ed Cooley and his staff were identifying roles now. We've talked about it with Ed Cooley. When mm-hmm. he finds roles for guys, that's when his teams start to come together. You're starting to see that. He played nine guys against TCU on Wednesday night. Right. And you're starting to see it with some of the bench guys. Alan Breed, a freshman. You can see that he is earning his minutes. You can see what he brings off the bench. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Nichols, a spark off the bench for them in the second half, especially on both ends of the floor. And I thought Jimmy and Greg Gant, their length defensively, it was like every passing lane. They're, they're getting a foot on it. They're getting a hand on it. I, I just thought they were very active, and I think that led to some transition baskets. It led to setting up David Duke and Nate Watson. He, he must have had four or five dunks in that game, even if it was a putback. Like it was, yeah. He was vicious at the rim. Yeah. So there were a lot of good things to take out of that TCU game. As you said, the most complete game they've played. Uh, and there's still things to improve. There's absolutely things to improve. But if your building blocks and your foundation are David Duke playing well and Nate Watson playing well and everybody else following with you know the little things, I, I, I think you, you have a good formula for success. You know, from the start when it came in, the, the, the main emphasis was try to, it was trying to upgrade the talent on this roster, trying to recruit better players. And, and what do those better players have usually? It's physical measurables. It's size. It's length. It's speed. It's quickness. And I think over the last three halves of basketball, the second half against Fairleigh Dickinson and then the two halves against TCU, I think we saw Providence start to impose their will a little bit on other teams, and and I think that started at the defensive end. Uh, As I said, against TCU, they extended their pressure a little bit, a little three-quarter court look, a little trap. Interesting. Um, You know, they were twenty-six to twelve off turnovers last night against the Horned Frogs. Um, What does that mean? It means that you're out in the open floor. It means that your guards, David Duke and Jared Bynum, are leading the break. They had fifteen assists combined. Mm -hmm. It means that guys like Jimmy Nichols, who are six-eight and long and who might not necessarily be best served playing in a 30-second shot clock, grind it out like 1990s Princeton style. You watch what he was able to do in the second half, getting out on the break, tipping balls on the wing, running with Jared Bynum and David Duke. That's his strength. You saw Greg Gant sort of play, I thought, his best all-around performance of his career over the weekend against Fairleigh Dickinson. Had a career high in assists, stuffed the stat sheet otherwise. I thought he was very effective coming off the bench in this game. So I, I, I think what I'm most encouraged by when I look at Providence over the last couple of games is the fact that they are 
attacking more. They're more aggressive. It, it looked, you know, in games early in the season like they were a little bit on ice skates. And, and I know part of that is the caliber of opponent that they're playing. But I think when you're the Friars and you're Ed Cooley and, and you're the players in that locker room, you have to look at each other and think, we were ranked in a certain spot for a reason. We picked third in the Big East for a reason. Let's go out and have some confidence and, and put some doubt in the opponent's minds. You know, let's not go out and be reactive. Let's go out and deliver the first blow and, and set the pace of the game, set the tempo of the game. I think that's really important for them going forward because I think there are going to be more nights than you know maybe five years ago, six years ago, where they're just going to have better players than the other guy. And, and when you have better players than the other team, it's incumbent upon you to go out, set the tone, and make them respond. Well, and I think Ed Cooley said something, too, and I want to say it was the Fairleigh Dickinson game, post-game, where you know the second half was much better than the first. And Ed said something along the lines of, well, you know what, I've started to tell my guys, stop thinking about plays and running sets and yes. whatnot and being here and being there on the floor and just play basketball. Yes. You guys have recruited, we recruited you for a reason. You're playing at Providence for a reason. Go out there and play. Stop thinking about it. Be free. And I think that's helped a lot of guys that we're seeing a lot of time from. You know, again, particularly off the bench, I was I was impressed with what everybody brought off the bench. Um, it, it's you 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 feel that you feel them playing more freely, and there's just a lot more confidence on the floor right now. You know, another guy that I think of off the bench too is is an Ed Croswell, who, you know, you put him and Nate Watson together on the floor and. You know, those are <laughs> those are two brick houses, man. They they can yeah. they can really help you going forward. And um, you know, the the rebounding is coming along as well. And Noah Horkler, you know, a guy that was in the starting five against TCU, and and he's he's rebounding the ball and he's doing the little things and whatnot. So everybody's starting to fit together. The puzzle piece is coming together. And I think Ed has kind of given them a push and said, look, we can't wait around until February to start peaking this year right. because Big East play starts Saturday. It starts now. It's, it's too early this year for us to try to find ourselves you know, around New Year's Eve. We have to find it earlier, and I, I think this is, it's coming at the right time. Yeah, I think maybe the, the first thing that they found against Fairleigh Dickinson was I, I think we found the leader on this team, mm-hmm. the, the guy who has to bring them forward, and I think that's David Duke. Um, you know, and, and, and when I hear him post-game taking ownership of this, when I hear him talking about what we need to do instead of what I need to do, uh, you know, when I hear him sort of giving confidence to his teammates like A.J. Reeves, who, who needs it, uh, mentoring Alan Breed, who's a freshman guard who he goes against every day. Um, you and I both covered David for a long time, you know, going back to classical, so you know that he's a character kid. Um, but I think you're seeing him last year – he took a major step forward with his game, obviously, at Providence. He, he turned into a really good three-point shooter, uh, you know, somebody who was capable of scoring at that level, someone who was capable of, of winning you a game or two occasionally, uh, turned into that kind of difference maker. This year, he's taking another leap, and, and we're seeing it right now over the last couple of games. He's been in double digits in all six games this season. He's had 28 points each of, each of the last two games. I know he was a preseason first-team All-Big East picnic, but I, I would say this. What's the ceiling for David Duke? Oh what, what are we looking at here? I don't know. <laughs> um, I'll say this. One thing that stuck out to me watching the TCU game, 
His his jump shot has never looked better. His three point shot is it's sweet. I mean, it is. It was like slow motion watching him shoot three pointers in that game. I mean, it was it was impressive. You know, because we've always known he can get to the basket. We saw it in high school. You know, we we've seen it throughout his his time playing. But his jump shot is. It's dangerous now. Now you have to, and and I know he had a great three point percentage during Big East play last year, but the the eye test now, like there's just you can tell he's been working on it. You can tell when a player, especially in college, is working on something. Of course, you know, like a Nate Watson and his jump shot. He yes. says he works on it morning, noon, and night. Like That's it's right. he's always working on it, and uh, you know you appreciate about that. You know that about these kids. Um, but David, yeah, I, I don't know what the ceiling could be for him. Uh, he just does so many good things uh and he continues to improve he's he's a better he is infinitely a better player than the first time we saw him at classical high school and we've seen the growth time and time again and what i the the biggest thing that stands out to me you talked about the leadership with david he's always had that kind of calm demeanor yeah he's never too high never too low you know the emotions yeah you see him get fired up I've been on the floor after a game, after a big win, where he looks over at my camera because he knows who I am. I've been covering him since high school, sure. and he'll he'll tam it up or do something like that. And that's him and AJ. They're just they're hams. They're fun kids, yeah. you know. But never, you don't hear him get too high, too low. He's just got that leadership thing about him, and we're seeing him be more vocal about it now. And when you have that kind of demeanor. It can go a long way, especially if you want to, say, play at the professional level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you have that type of demeanor, I think of a guy like, when have you ever seen Brad Stevens get fired up coaching the Boston Celtics? Rare occasions. Right. Because he's always the not too high, not too low, even keeled sort of thing. Yep. David right now is showing that while also exploding as a talent on the floor. Uh, it, it's impressive. It, it really is. And He's catching some eyes. He caught some eyes last night. And if he continues to play this way, the Friars are just—they're going to jump on his back and they're—they're going—they're going to follow him. Yeah, early, obviously, six games in, but his assist rate is up again for the second straight year. His turnover rate is down again for the second straight year. Last year, he shot forty-two percent from three-point range. This year, forty-six point two percent through six games. He's twelve for twenty-six from deep. Uh, and Providence figures to need him on Saturday when they start Big East play against Xavier. Uh, the 7-0 and Musketeers coming to Alumni Hall off the back of an impressive win over Oklahoma at home, 99-77. Uh, just blew out the Sooners in the second half. Th- this was a game that was relatively close at halftime. Uh, and all of a sudden you look up with five minutes left and Xavier's up by 23. Uh, Zach Fremantle... Uh, has been uh, a monster for them early. Uh, he was the Big East Player of the Week this week, uh, New Jersey native, had 28 points against the Sooners. Paul Scruggs is still there. He's been a really good player there for a long time. Uh, you got a transfer from Gardner-Webb named Nate Johnson, uh, who is a shooting guard. He had 25 points against Oklahoma, 7 for 9 from 3. He could be a major factor for them going forward. Um, you know, this is one of those games, Nick, really early on where I think it's, it's sort of a separation game in the Big East. You know, Providence is picked in the top half, and, and Xavier is sort of picked like in the middle to the bottom half, but they've shown well so far. Uh, beat Cincinnati over the weekend in the Crosstown shootout, and now beating Oklahoma. Those are two good wins compared to maybe their first five games where they, they didn't really play teams who, who were that noteworthy. Um, you know, So obviously a, an important game 
on Saturday for Providence to get going here in conference play. Who do you stop with these guys? They got four guys averaging double figure scoring right now. Mm. Who do you stop? Uh, to me, the guy that you, you mentioned, Paul Scruggs, and, and that's the guy that I think stirs the drink for the Xavier team. Uh, he leads the Big East in assists. And the guy that's number two, I, I'm not sure who's number two on that list, but he's double that. I mean, this guy, he's setting everybody else up right now. So he he's, he stirs the drink for them. And it's a different kind of Xavier team, too. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it felt like last year, Xavier and Providence were similar in terms of being a muck-it-up kind of game, grind-it-out, physical, all that, when they were playing each other. This year, you've got point totals of 99, 99, and 101, including a 99 to 77 win over Oklahoma, as you mentioned. Like that to me stands out. Right. This team is scoring at a much higher rate than I think maybe we're used to with the Musketeers. So this is going to be a difficult matchup. They're 7 0 for a reason. I mean, everything is working for them right now. And. You know, knock on wood, they've had good health as well. They've been able to play all their games, which, you know, in the Big East is for certain programs, it, it has it has been a struggle. I, I was it was funny. I was looking through the schedule and saying, okay, you know, who does Providence have first, second, third, fourth in the schedule? Well, UConn just went through another shutdown. Uh, Butler has played one game so far. Yeah, DePaul hasn't played any game so far. Right. Uh, knock on wood for you know programs like Xavier and Providence. They've been able to so far have a fairly normal season, um, and and you take that as much as you can get it because you never know. It, it could all be put on pause tomorrow. So you know, I'm glad that these two programs will match up because right now they've they're on track to you know start Big East play on time with no interruptions. We we do have uh, one team in the state who's already played two conference games, Coity, and that's obviously Bryant. Um, you know who split with St. Francis Brooklyn uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, they won the first one, one hundred one to eighty two. Uh, they did to the Terriers what they've done to pretty much everybody else, and, and that's just blitzed them out of the gate. <laughs> uh, Wednesday was a little different. Uh, you know, Wednesday you you come out, it looks the same for thirty two minutes, and then all of a sudden, Bryant sort of ran out of gas down the stretch. They lose ninety three ninety one, a game that was. You know, not necessarily a surprise when you look at the final score, but the way that it played out, the the fact that Bryant had a 16-point lead with eight and a half minutes to go, uh, there was a call down the stretch against Peter Kiss that I really didn't like very much, um, but I would say to, to folks who would point at that, that the officials didn't blow a 16-point lead with eight and a half Correct. minutes to go. Um, you know, and, and so this felt like a missed opportunity for Bryant, maybe a lesson for all of us how difficult it's going to be to sweep NEC road games this year because they're playing in that back-to-back format. Um, you know, it's going to be it, – it's almost going to feel like an NBA playoff series, right? You, you're going to have coaches making – trying to make adjustments – uh, you know, maybe in an 18-hour window, are we going to play differently? Are we going to play more zone? Are we going to slow it down? Is my rotation going to change? I, I'm really fascinated to see how that format affects some coaching decisions. Um, you know, but just overall impressions of, of Bryant, you know, through their first two games in Brooklyn this week. Well, they are fun to watch. <laughs> they certainly are. <laughs> they they are fun to watch. Yes, uh, third in the nation right now, as of today, in points per game, 101.4 behind Coastal. Carolina and North Alabama. I guess I'd love to see Bryant match up against those teams just to see what it looks like if those teams are scoring at 
think 104 points per game at that kind of rate. Um, they're averaging about 72 possessions per game, just a little bit under that. Yeah, what stood out to me in that first game, the first half, these Bryant scores 58 points on 46 possessions. Yeah, I mean, talk about just pushing the pace yeah. <laughs> and imposing your will. But that's the kind of style that Bryant wants to play. And now... I think Jared Grosso and his staff have recruited guys that when they're pushing the tempo and when they're getting the open three-point shots, these guys can knock them down. Peter Kiss, Chris Childs. I mean, even a kid like he's gotten some minutes off the bench, and I think he'll continue to grow in Erickson Bands. We know that Erickson Bands can hit shots when he's shooting and he's got open space. Yeah, he's not allergic to getting up and down, is he? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so... It's uh, it's a fun pace to watch, and, and so uh, it's an exciting brand, and they've recruited guys that can play this kind of style. Uh, and Mike Green, obviously, you know, is setting everybody up and, and doing it himself too. Um, but you're right. The, the second game, when you have this kind of pace and you push the tempo like this, if you're playing back-to-back days, you wonder about the the stamina. And not to say that Bryant hasn't, tried to condition themselves as much as possible to play this kind of tempo. But naturally, you know, eight minutes to go, you're up 16. Does does a little bit of the cruise control set in because you have just been pushing the tempo for two straight days and all those minutes on the floor? Right. And then all of a sudden, you, you string together some missed shots. The ball's going the other way. The Terriers are pushing the tempo as well, and they're starting to make their shots, and all of a sudden, you know, the lead disappears and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I I think that would be my question with the Bulldogs is when you play back-to-back days, you know, can can you get through it playing the tempo that you do you know, on a consistent basis. And I, I think maybe some fatigue maybe crept in toward the end of that second game. It, it's sort of what I, what I alluded to while we were talking about URI uh, when they played Arizona State and we're down 16 early. Arizona State's going to give you a chance because they want to run up and down and, and play fast and, sure. you know, score and, and show their skill and, and show their pace. Uh, you know, Bryant is similar in that way. Um, you, you look at the, this game, the second game, you're up 79-63 with 8.36 to play. According to Ken Palm, at that point, St. Francis Brooklyn had a 2.4% chance of winning. Oh, baby. Um, so the game is, is done and dusted. If, if, if you want to consider, you know, just, just looking at time and score, and you're up by 16 with eight and a half to go. All right, so if you assume that you don't commit any turnovers, you don't score any more points, you don't foul St. Francis Brooklyn. It's going to take them a minimum of six possessions to take the lead. Five threes and a deuce. Yep. That'll give them 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. They would take the lead. If you have the ball and you're just running the shot clock, you don't even take a shot, let's say. You burn three minutes off the clock with six possessions. You're down to 5.30. That's without them having the ball. That's without you scoring anymore. That's without you getting fouled. That's, that's without anything. So I, I think... If you're Bryant, I understand that the first 32 minutes playing that way got you the 16-point lead. And and why would we change? Because it's worked so well, really, for 72 minutes. Because the first night, you just blew them off the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't really that close. Right. Um, you know, but I do think that, that maybe, you know, there is a lesson to be learned there, maybe an adjustment to be made there. Um, you know, maybe just taking it out of fifth gear, maybe down to fourth. I, I don't want you to go all the way to second. 
you know, I don't want you to turn into 1990s Princeton and Pete Carrill, and, and we're going to hold the ball, and you know, we're going to win games in the 40s. No, sh- no shot clock in Maine high school basketball type of game, right? Because that's that's not who you that's not who you are. That's not the team you recruited. Um, you know, that's not what you've preached to your guys for months and months leading into the season. That that's not how you're going to win these games. Correct. Um, you know, but there is room for maybe some situational adaptations, and and I think. We saw one of those spots, uh, you know, Wednesday for the Bulldogs. I, I think it's it's a good lesson to learn in December and not in March. Um, you know, if you had this kind of thing happen in the Northeast Conference tournament, which is a one bid league, that would really hurt. Uh, and, and so I'd be very surprised if they got into late February or early March and they're playing a tournament game. I'd be very surprised if they had a 16-point lead with eight minutes to go and they let it go. Uh, you know, I, I don't think this sort of thing is going to happen to them again. I agree. Um, you know, I, I, I do say, you know, looking at down the stretch, there, there was a controversial call in this game. Uh, Peter Kiss was hit with a technical foul for flopping with about a minute to go. Uh, you know, you could quibble with whether or not the officials got a little too involved there. Uh, I, I don't necessarily love it. it. It's one of those letter of the law versus spirit of the law. You know, have some feel, as we would say in baseball. Should we really call this at this point? Um, you know, they decided to, to blow the whistle. Uh, Luis Hurtado had three free throws at one point to tie the game. He missed one of them. And, and that left you, you know, sort of scrambling and, and, and trying to pick things up down the stretch and, and he never could um, you know I, I, I guess the last thing I would say about Bryant and, and this is a scheduling reality for them uh, they continue to add games subtract games whatever else it may be uh, they're scheduled to play now Stony Brook on Saturday they've added a game at Northeastern uh, which is going to come up I think next Saturday the 16th um, or sorry next Wednesday next the Wednesday. 16th yep. um, you know but I would say this for, for Bryant in terms of their conference games you're going to play these back-to-back games, and, and you're going to do it next against Central Connecticut uh, in early January. If you were coaching, or, or if you were sort of just the average observer, what would you be tempted to do between Game 1 and Game 2 you know, with, with your team? Uh, I mean, especially if you win Game 1, because human nature is, well, we won, let's just play the same way, and, and we'll figure it out. You know, we'll, we'll just adjust, and, and we'll win the game, and, and whatever. Sure. But there are going to need to be adjustments made here by coaching staff. So what, what do you think maybe is going to be something common that we'll see? Do you think it's going to be defensive? Do you think teams are going to change tempo? Are they going to change rotations? What what sort of direction do you think Jared Grasso might go in as the season goes on? Interesting question. Um, I don't think it'll be rotations because I think if you find something that you like and something that works, I think you probably stick with it. Though, if there's something you want to improve on, if you want to play more defensively, if you want to... I don't know. Maybe it's just trying to key in on what you can do to stop the other team. Maybe I would trend defensively because I think offensively, you know what you want to do and you know what you want to do every single night. And that is as many possessions as possible, get shots up very quickly, push the tempo. Like I don't think there's going to be a ton of adjustment to that. I would say probably, yeah, defensively, how do you slow down the other team and how do you make sure that you stop them so that you can push the tempo and get up early and, and play the style that you want to play? That would be my trend, I guess. It's funny that you say that because I agree with you completely. I, I think that's the side of the well, ball. That's nice. No, no, I, it's, 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 it's something that I thought about driving in. And, and 
I, I definitely think it's something that, you know, you can watch teams on film and, and you can read the stat sheet and you can get an idea of who does what. But there's no substitute for actually being on the floor against guys and, and seeing what they can do and having your players get a feel for what they can do. And, and so maybe you're up against a guard who's a half step quicker or a half step slower than, than maybe you've, you've seen before. Uh, maybe he's got less of an offhand than, than maybe you thought before. Um, you know, maybe there is a, a forward who has a certain post move that he goes to every time, and, and you might want to double him, uh, you know, on the catch as opposed to after the first dribble. Um, you know, just little subtle nuance things, which I think, to your point, and, and I think you are correct, are more easily affected on the defensive end. I, I think that's definitely the place where you could see some game plan adjustments. Um, you know, and so in this case, Bryant gives up 82 points the first night, 91, uh, 93 points the second night. And, and so I think you would much rather have it go in the other direction. Correct. Uh, St. Francis Brooklyn was able to do that, um, you know, albeit by 10, uh, you know, not by 11, but they were able to do that. They were able to take away a share. Uh, you know, Bryant plays Stony Brook on Saturday. That was supposed to be their opener. It has been rescheduled uh, after there was a – COVID positive among a game official. I think it was a referee who was supposed to work that game. I believe you're correct. On yeah. opening night, November yeah. 25th. Crazy. Um, you know, and in these COVID times, you know, obviously, Nick, as you said earlier in the podcast, we, we are fortunate just to have games to watch. Uh, our teams have been lucky um, that they've been able to get on the floor as frequently as they have. Um but I think a discussion that we're going to have throughout the season, and I think it's going to pop up at different times, is whether or not we should be playing at all. Uh, you know, it was broached uh, on Tuesday night by Mike Krzyzewski, the Duke coach, uh, after a loss at home to Illinois. Uh, he was asked, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not, you know, using I- exact quotes here, uh, but the nature of the discussion was, you know, should we be playing? Should we be trying to go forward? Um, in an environment where, you know, in the United States on Wednesday alone, we had more than 3,000 deaths due to the coronavirus. Um, we're trending towards 300,000 positive cases a day. Uh, you know, we're over 15 million now. Uh, those numbers get numbing after time, but you consider 3,000 deaths, that's more people than who died in 9-11. Mm. It's more, more people than who died in Pearl Harbor. Um, you know, it, it is taking a massive toll on Americans, um, you know, both from that perspective, from a mental health perspective, uh, from an economic perspective. It, it's just it's a nightmare. Um, you know, we're nine months into it. It's a nightmare. Uh, you know, we, we feel we feel good about the fact that, that there are vaccines on the horizon. Those are starting to be rolled out. Uh, I have a lot of faith in, in the scientific community and, and what they're saying about those things. Um, you know, but, but Coach K you know, raised some interesting points about whether or not we should still be playing basketball, whether or not that should be the priority for these kids. Uh, you know, and Coity, I, I wonder if, if you had any thoughts on that, you know, just on the state of the game going forward and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, your feelings on quote-unquote student-athletes trying to slog through this here? Yeah, it's it's such a difficult question to answer because is there a right answer? Uh, I don't know because I think some uh, people, some places, some conferences, as we saw with the Ivy League, believe it is not safe right now. They should not be playing sports. And 
uh, we should be waiting until things are safe, which it sounds like, you know, at some point, hopefully in the near future, we'll turn that corner toward that uh, trend. But it's... I think some professional sports have been able to make it work. Major League Baseball made it work. The the NFL has made it work, though they've had their ups and downs and they've had their nightmares and reschedulings and mm. Tuesday night football and Wednesday afternoon football and whatnot. Um, I think at some point, though, it's it's interesting, you know, thinking about student athletes. You know, we're putting them through a lot, and they're not professional. They don't. They don't get paid. <laughs> I know that's that's a whole different topic and discussion that's going to come to the forefront. No, but it's part soon. of it. Yeah, it's it, part of it. Economics is is the thing I think that is driving a lot of a lot of things in this country right now because we did take such a massive hit to start that. You know, at this point, we are close, hopefully, to turning some sort of corner, and so. You know, do you try to power through it? And and I hate saying that because of all the numbers that you just named and all the loss and the hurt and everything that this pandemic has brought to us in 2020. But at the same time, I, I think a lot of people are in the mindset now, too, that they want to try to power through. And, and you ask the players, they're going to say they want to play. Of course they do. They're going to say they want to play. Of course they do. Um, but it's it's about, you know, looking out for their you know, health and well-being. And you have to consider the mental aspect of it, too. By these guys going out there and playing, it, it I think it keeps them in, in good mental health. Instead of not having a season again, not having another NCAA tournament for a second straight year, there's no right answer. Because is it a safe climate to be playing any sports right now? It's not a safe climate to be doing much of anything. Because no. this virus, as you said, is just it's running rampant through the country and through the world. Um, but I, I think programs and teams are doing their best to, especially up in these parts, to mitigate the risk as much as possible. And if something comes up, like a referee test positive, they cancel the game. They push it back. They postpone it. You know, UMass Lowell and Bryant, I credit the Bulldogs for turning things around last Saturday as quickly as they did mm. to put a game on the floor against Rhode Island College. He called Rick and they said, why don't you come up here we'll play some basketball. Whatever the level is, you're Division Three, we're Division One. who cares? Let's play basketball. Right. Because, and, but they did it because UMass Lowell didn't have a positive test, but NC State who they played on that Thursday had a positive test. They wanted to mitigate the risk. I think programs so far have been pretty smart about it and, and I don't know what it's like in North Carolina, where Coach K is right now, uh, it did strike me. Ed Cooley made sure to point out in his post-game press conference, TCU. He said, "This ain't really mask-friendly country down here." He did, and, and that that to me was was like, "Whoa!" I'm sure that they looked at that and they said, "Let's get our guys on the plane and let's get home now." Yes. Because again, I think it's just been more. Uh, friendly toward that up here and, and trying to mitigate the risks. So there's no right answer. The long long way of saying there's no right answer, but uh, I think it is refreshing that programs are doing their best to try to put a, a product on the floor and for these kids to go out and play. It's important to note that Providence and, and Rhode Island uh, in their trips did fly via private charter, uh, which limits exposure. Good. Uh, Coity, I, I know you and I have, have been on a couple of those uh, to the NCAA tournament. 
with your eye uh, to Sacramento sticks out in, right. in mind. Um, you go through a private terminal. You're not really interacting with with anybody. Uh, you know, there's really not much of a security check. You you just sort of go through a private terminal at TF Green uh, TF Green Airport. Walk out onto the tarmac and, and you get on the plane. Uh, and so theoretically, if, if everyone on that plane has already tested negative, uh, you're not really being exposed to anybody else. Um, well, and I think of too, Bill, when when we're flying to an NCAA tournament, usually there is extra people on the plane from yes. the athletic department to you know maybe high level boosters. The or band is with the you. Band, the the, the Ramettes were with us. Exactly. I think. Yeah. For these trips, I'm sure that they're able to get on the plane and distance themselves, you know, in terms of seating. They're not sitting right next to each other because I'm sure they've got a, a charter plane that's got the room because there aren't, you know, as many people getting on these trips. No, this is bare bones. This is players and staff only. Yep. Uh, your travel party for this is, isn't going to be any more than 20 or 25. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I, I do think, you know, just thinking about this the other day, it, it is such a house of cards that this is built on. Good way to put um, it. When you talk about, positive tests or you know potential exposure and contact tracing uh it it could be something as simple as you know let's say let's say providence right we'll take them as an example let's say ed cooley's wife who who he lives with in east greenwich they've been married for a long time Mm -hmm. ed cooley's wife decides she wants to go out to lunch on a saturday with a friend to a restaurant that is still open um and for some reason ed cooley's wife is with a friend who, come to find out two or three days later, has been exposed to someone who tests positive for the virus. Now Ed Cooley's wife has been exposed, which means Ed Cooley has been exposed, which means his players have been exposed indirectly. You're talking about the Kevin Bacon game. It's, it's you know, degrees of separation. But that's how simple this is. And, and I think that's how difficult this is for players and staffs to try and get through this. Right unscathed you're you're just dealing with so many personal connections around a team whether it's through the players or through the coaches or through the managers or through the sids like arthur parks and and shane donaldson uh and tristan hobbs who we work with directly um you know it's you're relying on so many people to be diligent it's just it's so much to ask uh, of these groups just to get on the floor it, it has to be mentally taxing for them I, I know you know just for me personally I tried to limit exposure you know I've tried to stay home as much as I can I live alone um, you know so I don't have to worry about my kids going to school or you know my wife going to work or you know things like that and and even still I could find myself contracting COVID-19 it, it could happen just as easily as it could happen to anybody else um, we're sitting here in this podcast studio, six feet apart, wearing masks, uh, and we're going to wipe this down with, with Lysol after we're done, and we're going to walk out, and you know we're not going to go out to dinner or, or you know late lunch or anything like that. We're both going to go home, right? Um, you know, so I, I I just think you know Coach K had some good points. Um, I do think though that, that that what you said about the athletes' mental health and the fact that um, you know Mike Martin said this when when Brown season was canceled. Um, his players identify themselves as Ivy League students, but they also identify themselves as Division One basketball players. And, and that's a huge part of who they are. Uh, it's a huge part of giving them structure, of giving them purpose on a daily basis. Uh, you know how much these kids were hurt 
in March when the postseason was canceled. Um, you know, I think about seniors like Jeff Doughton or Cyril Langevine or Luan Pipkins or Alpha Diallo who didn't have a chance to go play in their conference tournaments. And, and you're always going to be left with that, that what if, that maybe if we had one more shot, you know, maybe if we had one more chance, if, if we could have played in the NCAA tournament, we could have made a run. Um, one of the worst questions you can ever ask yourself in life is what if. It, it's, it grinds on you. It grates on you. It's really difficult. Um, so I do think uh, Coach K's points are, are well taken. Um, you know, they're well made, obviously. He's a statesman in college basketball. He, he's forgotten more about the sport than, than I will ever learn. Um, you know, but I do think that, you know, so long as you are taking every precaution and the players are comfortable going forward, uh, I think you should continue. I, I would say the one thing that you want to revisit in 2021-22 is the sacrifice that these players have made and how it should be rewarded and that a scholarship might not be just enough um, when you consider the economic machine that these players are keeping going right now. Economics. Yep. It drives a lot of things in this country right now. And, and you're right, Bill. <laughs> you, uh, you should reward these players for what they're going through, for all the steps, these programs. It's, uh, it gives us something to talk about. It gives people something to enjoy. It gives, as you said, the players, you know, they, they get to work hard and have the payoff be being able to get on the court and, and play basketball. And uh, it's difficult, but I, I think you'll, you know, you'll find that these programs say, hey, whatever we have to get through to get on the floor and play, especially with what happened in March, you know, I, I think of Providence and just that's the ultimate what if, I think, with all the programs in this state. They were rolling, Billy. They were rolling. And it, <laughs> you look back at it and you just, your heart breaks for them because they, man, you know, you, you talk about it. We did the, you know, after, you know, the struggles that they had in the Maui Invitational, we did the annual Ed Cooley job performance review on Saturday morning. All of a sudden, everybody's got an opinion. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I look at it and I say, well, you know what? Fed's team played in the NCAA tournament last year. I think there probably would have been more than one NCAA tournament win on his resume, yeah. just the way they were playing. Thing, things probably would have happened there, uh, yeah. you know. But but when when the name, image, and likeness debate comes up again, and and you know when we get to the point where you're going to argue against whether or not David Duke should profit off his jersey sales, you you might want to keep in mind that while you're working from home or stuck in your house and, and your favorite bar or restaurant is shut down, uh, that he was providing you entertainment, amen, and that he has the right to share in the spoils of that entertainment. Um, and it's not just his school that can build a $40 million practice facility through private donations, granted, mm-hmm. um, but a school that's also flush with cash from their Fox TV contract. Uh, a lot of that is built off his back. Absolutely. Um, and so I think you you might want to revisit that once this is all over. I agree. Um, Coity, you told me this before we came on the air. I was to remind you uh, that you have something here for the end of the podcast. Give me, se- give me a second here. Uh, he's going into his bag I'm here. Going into the bag. So I just ordered them, and uh, you are the first because I haven't addressed any envelopes yet. But uh, happy holidays, my friend. The, oh my goodness! The quick Christmas this. card is is coming through. <laughs> Look at this! Wow! Now I feel like a slouch here. <laughs> the nice little note on the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah? You like that? 
Ah, excellent. Like the design? Okay. Excellent. Look okay. at this. All right. Yeah. So Nick Coit has proven himself far more thoughtful than I, uh, <laughs> coming through with a, a holiday card. Uh, I can describe it to you on the front. This looks like Gillette Stadium. So it is Gillette Stadium. Um, yeah. I can't remember which game it was. Uh, I don't know if it, it might have been the Niners game. Um, yeah, early in the season because you're, yep. you're not wearing a super heavy coat or anything like that. Nope, it was a light jacket um, sitting in uh, Section 224, I believe, is where they put sort of auxiliary media to spread everybody out. And uh, the picture was taken by uh, the the great David Silverman, who oh, uh, sure. obviously we see at, at Brown and Bryant games frequently, but uh, yeah. you know, uh, official photographer for the New England Patriots. And every once in a while, he'll take a funny picture, something like that. And he sent me that picture, and he said, "You need to get some new friends, man." <laughs> <laughs> but I just I appreciated it so much because I said, you know, David. I'm going to keep this, you know, I may frame it, something like that, because it's going to be a reminder to me that, you know, just to see all the empty seats in the stands like that and everybody just sort of spread out and it's going to be a reminder to appreciate what we have and what we get to do when hopefully things get back to close to normal because... You know, when when you have an empty stadium like that, I'm lucky and fortunate to be able to go and, and cover the Patriots still. But Bill, it, it's uh, it's not the same. The atmosphere is not the same. No, not having the fans there, it's it's heartbreaking for you know, anybody that's involved, and and the players and the teams especially. And that goes for every sport. That goes for college basketball too. So. And the Christmas card thing, I've reconnected as much as I can with, with friends from college and high school and everything this year. And I've learned in a year like this to, you know, appreciate those those people, those moments, you know, more than ever. And uh, the Christmas card thing, I wasn't able to have my annual Christmas party, so I said I got to do the Christmas cards this year. Which, which is a blast, uh, <laughs> folks, if, if you are fortunate enough to get an invite to the Coit Christmas party. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing that I, I take away generally from, from Coit Christmas is that I'm generally the only person there who's not on camera, yeah. not on TV. <laughs> uh, well, um, I do have my high school buddies. No, that, that, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, you know, but they, they were born to be on stage having met a few of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they could certainly host their own variety <laughs> oh, show. They, they muck it up, that's um, for sure. You know, the pride of Plymouth. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I am like the least handsome person in that room, though. It is. It is. <laughs> you got people from, from ABC6 and NBC10 and, and WPRI12. And, you know, I, it is the beautiful people of Rhode Island media uh, that, that we're surrounded by for one night. Um, you know, and, and certainly, you know, may it continue in 2021. Yep. Um, you know, very thoughtful of, of you. Uh, you know, I'm obviously not in, in your league in terms of class. Oh, uh, stop it. Yes, you are. And, uh, you know, if you read my Twitter mentions, it would remind you yeah. that uh, most folks don't think that I'm in your league in terms of class. Well, no, it's, uh, that's it. Don't listen to the don't listen to the trolls, my friend. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say, you you know, I would echo your sentiments and, and say, you know, it's it's been a, a really difficult year for all of us in sports media. Uh, you know, it's 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 probably something that that we never anticipated. The fact that we'd be going to stadiums without fans, crazy. Um, you know, that we wouldn't have access to to locker rooms, to clubhouses. You know, to to, to sit on or near the basketball court. Um, you know, it, it's not something that that you ever thought would even be remotely possible. Uh, you know, even even going back to, you know, something like 9-11 that I mentioned earlier in the pod, um, yes, there, there's increased security around the game venues, and, you know, you go in now and your your bags are checked, and, 
you know, I know at the Patriots game they they usually have a dog mm-hmm. who, who's checking around uh, backstage. Um, you know, and 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 multiple dogs early. Uh, you know, before a big playoff game, because mm-hmm. they, they obviously don't want anything to happen there. Uh, I have not been to the Super Bowl. I know you've been to several. Oh. Uh, the level of security there is, is you know ratcheted up two or threefold Layers. From, from a regular season game, right? Um, you know, but something like a pandemic that that is invisible, um, something that we've never dealt with before. It it it, it really has been difficult. It, it's been challenging in, in in a lot of different ways. Um, we get to sit here and talk about college basketball, which which is a great thing, um, you know. And obviously, with with the holidays coming up, we we just hope that it continues through Christmas and and going on into the new year. Um, you know, we we can sort of see, you know, as we get into conference play a little bit, it feels a little normal, which is really something that we all crave right now. Of course, um, you know. And as we get into this weekend, we we've got more. Really important games coming up, obviously, for URI, for Providence, and for Bryant. Um, you know, so, Coity, I, I thank you for the card. Uh, it's very thoughtful. I, I Happy holidays. You, I thank you for the time, uh, <laughs> as always, today. Um, you know, I look forward to the next time we get together and do this. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. As always, a pleasure.